this morning, you are going to be uh, tremendously blessed by our uh, our speaker, Pastor John McLeod. Uh, he and his church are Vanguard members, which means they're a partner church, a sister or brother church with us, and uh, uh, and he is a tremendous man of God, preacher, pastor, uh, a friend personally, uh, as well as uh, a, a really a great husband, married 37 years, um, a father, so you guys will be very blessed, we'll be very blessed this morning as we hear from him. Can you welcome Pastor McLeod as he comes? Thank you. Uh, Pastor Brent, thank you so much. And that's not a train wreck, that's priorities. Uh, you, you know how important you are when we're taking up the offering first. So no, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, uh, I know we said this in the first service, but just uh, Pastor Bobby, hearing his voice, um, there's just something about his voice that resonates. And you, when you hear it, it just your heart uh, burns within you. Boy, he's going to really feel holy when he hears that one. But I know, I know you can't wait to have him back. Uh, but I'm privileged, and it's just a wonderful opportunity, a rare opportunity, quite honestly. Uh, it's, it's just different when pastors are able to share time in other pulpits like this, and it's a privilege that I would be uh, given this opportunity. To, to go along, quite honestly, with what we've been talking about since service started um, with the worship, with uh, a lot of what was sung during the worship, and certainly even the offering. The word trust has been mentioned multiple times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And the question simply is, are you willing? Are you really willing? We know the words of the songs, but walking it out is quite challenging at times. So are you willing... Because and as it's just one little phrase, basically that simply says, what we think we know is seldom all there is to know. What I think I know is seldom all there is to know about any given subject. You know, for instance, and we'll just go back in history for a few minutes, just to say that in 1936, it was said that a rocket will never be able to leave the Earth's atmosphere. Now, in hindsight, that's pretty silly, isn't it? But at some point in history, somebody thought they knew it all, but they didn't realize they seldom knew all there was to know. After the first flight of the Boeing 247, because they didn't start with the 747, but at that first flight, engineers claimed that there will never be a bigger plane built, and it sat 10 people. Movie producer Daryl Zanuck in 1946 said, that the television won't last because people will soon get tired of watching a box. <laughs> Variety Magazine in 1955, speaking of Elvis Presley and rock and roll, said it will be over by June. Please tell me more people know who Elvis Presley is than that. <laughs> Not Yes, yes. 1966, um, even if it was feasible, they said, that remote shopping or what we know as online shopping would never cut it. Now, I say that because at some point in people's lives, they think they know it. They think they've got the handle on it. In our spiritual walk, the same thing applies. We, we get to a place in our spiritual walk where we 
we got this. And we hear things like trusting the Lord with all your heart. Yeah, I got that. And, and you know as well as I do, you don't. But we say that okay, because we get comfortable in ourselves. And just, just fair warning, I don't need response. I love it. But if you just share and stare, I'm still going to preach. <laughs> so here's, here's, um, here's what I want to propose this morning, that as we get into this, we just understand that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Proverbs tells us that many are the plans of a man's heart. And if I can um, get real loose with that language for just a second, I can decide I know everything, but God's got a plan. I can decide I know what steps to take, but God already knows the bigger picture. So, as we get into this, I just once again want to ask, are you willing? Because I just want to, I want to read a very familiar passage to, to you out of Acts chapter 8. But then I want to just break this story down for just a few moments and just bring out a couple of um, principles, points. This is not really a three-point message per se, as much as it is as we look through this passage, to me things are always jumping out. That's why it was almost hard to send a PowerPoint. Every time I read through it, something else jumped out, and I thought, well, this, this has got to end somewhere, Lord. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's read this, starting uh, in chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord had said to Philip, Rise up and go toward the south on the way that goes toward or goes down from Jerusalem toward Gaza. This is the desert. So he rose up and went. And there was a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he was in command of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, sitting in his chariot and reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, Go to this chariot and stay with it. Then Philip ran to him and heard him read the book of Isaiah, the prophet, and said, Do you not understand what you are reading? He said, How can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, Who will speak of his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask of whom does the prophet speak, of himself or someone else? And then Philip spoke, beginning with the same scripture, and preached Jesus to him. And as they went on their way, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. He answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to halt. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Astos, and passing through, he preached the gospel in all of the cities until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is power. Lord, through you, your word forms and creates. Even this morning, God, I pray that you open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to receive what you have for us. We need you desperately, Father. It is your way that we are searching. So, Lord, touch us, I pray, in your precious name, the strong name of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. <clears throat> Philip, we're not introduced to Philip in this passage. As a matter of fact, when you go back to Acts chapter 6 is when we first really find out who Philip is. There's a division and a conflict in the church. Some of the widows are being left out of the daily care. And, and the apostles tell the church, choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit. Now what that simply means is, go out, this isn't deep, go out and find men who are bearing the fruit and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Philip was one of those men that were chosen. I mean, just on a quick side note, I would love to uh, initiate that ministry in the local church rather than, wouldn't you just love it to be able to walk up to people and say, hey, you know what? I see God working in your life, so you're over this. Go do it. Right? I mean, first of all, I think a lot of us would really start walking a little bit differently but I also think that some of us would maybe just stop walking because we wouldn't want to get picked for anything. <laughs> you know, we don't like the word voluntold much, but I, I promise you when, when the apostle said, go find seven men filled with the Holy Spirit that are walking, and it's evident. And Philip was one of those individuals that were chosen to help in the administration and in the process of serving. What we know is the ministry of deacons at this point. So it's... It's in that setting that we're introduced to him, but also as you enter into chapter 7, and then even in verse 8, or chapter 8, Philip is, is a part of a movement now that is going through incredible pain and, and, and difficult times. Saul comes on the scene. Stephen, the first one of the seven that were chosen, is literally stoned to death in front of Saul. The Bible tells us in uh, chapter 7, that they threw, his, threw their cloaks in front of Saul as they were stoning Stephen. He was persecuting the church. And whenever the church throughout the New Testament ever is under persecution, it separates everybody. But it doesn't split up everybody in regards to, well, they're not weak anymore, they've lost their power. No, whenever the church gets split up, they get stronger. Whenever the church, and it's, I'm not talking about division, I'm talking about universe, uh, united spread. A united division, if you will. It's not about us getting split up and splintered. It's really about when the weight of the world may try to press down and press Jesus out. That's sort of a great way to let God out. And when that happened, Philip finds himself in Samaria. As we'll talk about in a few moments, he doesn't choose Samaria because it's a, an easy place. Jews and Samaritans had never gotten along with each other. There was always conflict. He did not choose a place of conflict to go hide out. He didn't choose a place of conflict to necessarily find shelter. He just goes to Samaria. And the Bible says that this incredible revival breaks out. I'm just setting up to the passage we read a moment ago. This revival breaks out, this Mighty works of God breaks out. And I love that because it's not so much that he just went there. Philip just didn't go there and start trying to do church or trying to have church. But the Bible says that he went and he preached Jesus Christ. When you read chapter 7, and we'll see this again in chapter 8, he preaches Jesus Christ. Can I, can I just make this really simple? If we'll just stick to preaching Jesus. I, I don't care what ministry you start, it's always going to be about Jesus Christ. 
I don't care how you walk it out. It needs to always be about Jesus Christ. Forgive me. If you take a drink of water, it needs to be about Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he preached Jesus Christ. And, and this is not, I'm not condemning anything that people are doing today. I'm just simply saying it's easy how some people just try to get um, involved in things that they feel are at least bearing fruit or bearing numbers or bearing something in the name of success. But listen, the only success you have is when you preach Jesus because then the rest is on him. He will build his church. Yes, we must plan and we must be a part of his work, but we're not responsible for saving anybody. Philip preached Jesus Christ. And, and again, this is in Acts chapter 7. The mighty works took place. The miracles took place. The changed lives take place. It, it's a powerful thing to watch changed lives take place. That's why you're having a baptismal service in just a few weeks. To celebrate changed lives and what it represents when Jesus Christ has been experienced in the life of an unbeliever and they become believers. And this kind of revival, if you will, was taking place. Now it's in this setting that lives are being transformed, that lives and families are being powerfully lifted up, that, that there's healings and deliverances and mighty works of God, that God says, go to the desert. I'm going to just put myself in Philip's shoes for just a moment. What? We got things rolling now, Father. Come on, Lord. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's, Lord, I'm going to fast for three days. And if on the third day you do this, this, or this, or we're going to put a fleece before the Lord, and, and Lord, if you do this, I, I've already told you, you don't need a fleece, John. And now why? Why am I even bringing that up? It's not what Philip ex experienced. But I just want us just to be real for a few minutes as we look at this because the reality is it's, it's real easy for us to not do what we obviously are hearing God tell us to do. It's, it's easy to, we want to make things big and glamorous, or we want to do the big, high-profile things, because if you're in the desert and God says, go to Samaria and experience mighty works of God, I'm on that train. Let's go. I'm, I'm there. No problem. It's when you're in the midst of a powerful move of God, when you're in the midst of things are going good, that's when you think you know, but you seldom know it all. When, you, when you're in the midst of things are right where they, things are working well now. We've struggled and things are going good now. Okay, I, I take everything back I said about response. If this makes any sense, just a nod will do. <laughs> It's when you're in the midst of that and you, and you hear God say, I, I want you to go here, and it's obvious. And you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't fit my plan. That's, that's not what I know. That, that's not the natural progression. Moving from mighty works of God to the desert is not the natural move. God. It's, not, it's not what I naturally, it's, not, it's like when my wife and I first started dating. I was raised in a pastor's home, and when my wife... She comes from a, not just a Latin Cuban background, but her dad was a doctor, a medical physician. My dad was a Pentecostal pastor. They really thought that she was, the first question they asked when, 
when I asked my wife to marry me was they didn't realize that priests could get married now. Because <laughs> they came from a strong Catholic background. But then secondly, when I convinced them that, that I was not a priest, is why would she ever take the vow of poverty? So when I, when I worked through meeting with them and helping them understand that that's not, because even in their minds, they thought, well, no, this is how it happens. If you go into ministry, you're poor, you're broken, you can't get married. This is what's going to happen. This is your life. And I'm like, they even had me thinking, really? <laughs> maybe, maybe I got to second guess this. I'm not sure. But when you think you know, it stops you from moving forward. And I, I, just really, I just really feel compelled this morning to just challenge you. Are you really willing to follow after Christ like we say we're willing to follow after Christ? Are we willing to take those steps of faith that we say we're willing to take? Because sometimes, I'll speak for myself, God is speaking so clearly. It just doesn't match my agenda. God is speaking powerfully clear. And I'm even praying, Lord, I need to hear you better. Because I, I hear these noises. And Lord, I want to bind that in the name of Jesus. Because what we're really saying is I want to hear what I want to hear. And here's what I love about Philip. No fleeces, no prayer, no argument. He goes. Now, just let's talk about Philip just for a second, because when we first meet Philip, he's just chosen as one of the seven to wait on tables, work in administration. And what that means is he's just faithful where he is. Persecution hits, unplanned events hit, flat tires, something that you didn't plan, something that you didn't expect. And instead of, woe is me, God, in the name of Jesus, we were here first. We're going to bind the enemy. We're going to, nope, I'm going to go to Samaria. I feel just, I feel led to go to Samaria. Isn't that like running? Not when they're trying to kill you. See, we think persecution is a flat tire. We have a tendency to think persecution is just a bad day. Persecution is not a bad day. Persecution is when they are taking your life. Persecution is when they're trying to shut you down literally. And so he doesn't just run because he's having a bad day. The church is scattered, and he goes to Samaria. He preaches the word. Now, here's all I want you to understand. When the tough, when the tough things of life start to press in, he didn't go to Samaria and start a woe-is-me ministry. He didn't go to Samaria and, and say, please, man, you, you guys have to help. You have no idea how bad it is. And, and I hope I'm making sense when I say this. He went to Samaria and did what? Preach Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. Philip went and he preached Jesus Christ. But even in the mighty works that were taking place in Samaria, in the mighty revival that was taking place in Samaria, as soon as the Spirit said, now go to the desert, Philip didn't say, wait a minute, my life has been a mess. He went, to, he went over to the desert. Now what, what was he going to the desert for? 
Bible tells us that the Spirit told him, there's an Ethiopian eunuch that's going to be coming through there on a chariot. I want you to go to that chariot and stay with it. Now, without getting into a lot of description about what an Ethiopian eunuch is, an Ethiopian eunuch is an Ethiopian eunuch. And according to the scripture, it says that he was the treasurer of the queen. Now, this is not the Ethiopia that we know today. Uh, In the Old Testament, it was the land of Cush. And what we do understand, it was a powerful nation and that there was at least one person in that nation who somehow had heard of God. Because this one man came to worship. That's the, that's the only reason for his trip. I've heard some talk about the need for business and the need for trade, and so he turned it into an opportunity. No, the Bible says he had come to worship. Amen. He somewhere, somehow had had some type of encounter with God that he was so hungry he was going to come and worship, and he did. But now, unlike any Jew, he was not able to enter in to the temple, not only because he he was not a Jew, but he was also a eunuch. And it wasn't so much that he was made a eunuch as a child because he would be taking care of the harems and and the kings and the queens and the daughters. No, a lot of times they would make eunuchs the treasurers. In most, in many cases in church history and in, in, in uh, commentaries, what you'll find is when they talk about someone being a eunuch, it's because they're over the finances. Now, I'm saying that to say this. This was not just anybody. This was somebody. It wasn't just a stranger. This was a man of importance. It was a man of means. It was a man who could make decisions It was a man who knew how to make decisions. He was in second in command to this queen over the nation, over her treasury. And so the spirit says, Philip, I want you to go because as you see this chariot, I want you to run to it and connect with it. Now, I love this part because, number one, he calls Philip to the desert. And then Philip sees this chariot. And he goes to it. As a child, hearing a message like this many times, and again, being raised in a pastor's home, I've heard this preached a few times. But as a child, my mind would begin racing. I'm ADHD, by the way. And so my mind always is racing. So as my dad was preaching, I would just come up with the stories in my head, and I would enjoy it no matter what. Um, Sometimes I would envision how that if Philip was able to be taken away real quick, maybe he was able to catch up to a chariot real quick. So I could see in my mind's eye this chariot just cruising across the horizon on the desert landscape, and, and Philip saying, there it is, let's get it. And he chases down this chariot with speed, and he catches and he jumps on the chariot, but that's not how it happened. I, I've also in my mind's eye seen... A, a poor Ethiopian eunuch sitting down on the side of the road with a broken down chariot. Maybe a wheel had fallen off and he's sitting there just reading the Bible, praying for God to bring somebody by. But that's not how it happened. As a matter of fact, if you, uh, when you study and read the commentaries, chances are a man of this authority, a man with this position, probably had a small entourage. He probably wasn't being carried by a horse and chariot, 
but it was probably more like a, a stable bastard or a, a long-term um, animal that could bear the burden long-term like an oxen or a mule, pulling at a slower pace this chariot with him just sitting in and reading it aloud with his entourage walking alongside. Now, here's what I love about this picture that I get when I study it. It's not that God is saying, I want you just to go find that chariot, chase it down, and preach to him. Because when I think about it in those terms, I can chase that down by 9 and be done by 11. If I really get serious about serving God, it's not going to take up a lot of my time, and I can be back to Samaria by the 6 o'clock service. I can get back to the mighty works of God. Can anybody... But here's what I love. There's one little phrase in there, guys. And I really feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. I want you to go to that chariot and stay with it. One translation says stick with it. Now what does it mean? That means that at some point when Philip saw that chariot, he started walking alongside. Because, see, you really only get to know people when you start walking alongside with them. You really only get to know what they're thinking and what they're saying when you're sort of, you know, we use terms like doing life together. We use terms like hanging out, or we use terms like grace groups, whatever our different groups are called, because I really only get to know people when I've spent some time with them around the table. Now, the Bible doesn't say that they spent a month in travel. The Bible doesn't say that they had a campfire. What I do know is when God says stick with it, that means you need to stick with it. Can I just be real transparent for a second? I've spent so much of my life, when God is saying stick with it, I've been praying, Lord, deliver me from it. When God is saying, I want you to stick with it, this is not, yeah, it might not be the most, but Lord, there's no, it's just one guy, Lord. It's, Lord, it's not even a good small group. It's just one guy. There's only two seats. Everybody's walking. The transportation isn't that great. God, there's not even a sound system involved. <laughs> Stick to it. Stick with it. And this isn't necessarily speaking to our egos. As much as it is, sometimes when God calls us to something, we think we know, but we seldom know at all. See, only in hindsight do we know that this Ethiopian went, and, and history tells us that he probably was one of the first ones that started ministry and started Christianity in, in his nation for centuries. See, you, you, don't, you don't know that that person that God might be calling you to, and we've all heard this in growing up, the, the next person you call might be the next Billy Graham. Well, we say that to make everybody in the service feel pressure. So, by the way, the next person you talk to might be the next Billy Graham. But that's not really meant for pressure because, listen, here's the reality. The next person you talk to might be the next Billy Graham. It might be the next Francis Chan. It might be the next Dr. Bobby Hill. I'm very serious. If you could look back at anybody's life, at, at where they were, they were all at somewhere in a desert place asking questions, struggling with issues, struggling with things, struggling with life. And yeah, they might have looked, you know, at, at first glance, you just see a leader. 
in a chariot with a posse. Some people might even look back and say, wow, I wish I could be him. But, but until you start walking with him, until you start taking some steps with him, because see, it, it, it would have had to be another God moment if Philip just would have run up, but I believe that he ran up and started walking with him. That's when he started listening to what he was reading. You see, until you start walking with people, you really don't know what they're thinking. You really don't know what they're experiencing. You may think you know, but seldom do you know it all. That's why it's so easy. Isn't it easy to be judgmental? I wish that was the gift of the Spirit, because it would be so easy. Because it's easy to look at something, it's easy to look at a situation, it's easy to look at circumstances and just say, well, that's what's going on there. If they would only straighten up, if they would only do this, if they would only do... And the problem is, until you've walked with them for a while, you don't even know what they're reading. But after Philip has walked with him for a few minutes, he begins hearing him read. And that's when he's able... You see, you can't even speak into someone's life until you know them a little bit. But at some point, at some point, and I just want you to get this picture in your mind. I don't know if maybe he had read that picture or read that passage uh, maybe five or six times and just kept shaking his head. But at some point, finally, Philip looked up and said, do you, do you have any idea what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? You can't just ask anybody that. I mean, if you walk up to a total stranger on the street who's walking through struggles and you just walk up to them and say, excuse me, my name is John, but do you understand why you're an alcoholic? Do you understand? Or even if people you just sort of know, because as, as a pastor or as leaders, we probably know more about people than we want to know. Somebody say amen. amen. And so then, you know, it, it would be easy sometimes to walk up, you know, you ever wonder why you can't keep your family together? You know, if you just walk up to somebody and say that, you could. You might be missing teeth and, and stuff would happen, but no healing. So he just doesn't walk up and say, hey, do you, do you have a clue what you're reading? It's only after you've spent some time together. It's only after you've walked with some people for, for a while. It's only after he has stuck to it. I don't know what your desert looks like. I don't know what God has called you to. And I don't know what he's asking you to stick to. But that's what gives you the right to say, hey. Do you understand? Because the response wasn't, get out of my posse. The response wasn't, who are you? And where did you come from? The response was, how, how am I going to understand if, if there's nobody to tell me? Can you please come up in my chariot? And now here's what I love. Philip didn't even start with the scripture and say, man, I'm so glad you had me come up. It's been a long walk. God told me to come out here. I'm telling you, God's using me in powerful ways. Can, have I told you about Samaria? No, the Bible says that starting with that scripture, he started preaching Jesus Christ. You see, here's a key, key point real quick. Um, when God is speaking to you about something, it's never really about you. When God is leading you to a new place or leading you to take a step of faith, it's not, it's not about you feeling better about yourself. And please, I, I say that 
as gently as I can. But we know the culture that we live in, right? It's all about me, right? How great I am. How It's all about us if we're not careful. The reason God leads us as he does is God's always got an agenda and he is always initiating a relationship with the next person. God initiated a relationship with you. Not just through Jesus Christ. Please understand, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. But it was a grandma or a grandpa or an aunt or an uncle or a preacher. Somebody else initiated a relationship with you to tell you about Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe you were walking through a desert place and you were just trying to figure things out. And maybe God brought somebody along to connect with you and just in a very supernatural way helped you understand, wow, it really is about Jesus. Because that's... What God is trying to do, he's always initiating relationship. And, and that's why, and I tell our church, I tell anybody that wants to listen. If you understand that, that God is already at work on the other side, that will help you a lot at taking your step of faith on this side. Because I'm not just stepping into blindness. It might be something that I'm not sure I know, but that is also a, a keen understanding of there's plenty that I still don't know. God is at work on the other side. God was already at work in the Ethiopian eunuch. There was already a hunger there. God was already at work in where the chariot was going to be. God was already at work understanding that even though they're in a desert place, there are streams somewhere out there in the desert place because at some point this hungry man was going to say, let me in. I want to be baptized. Can I get baptized? Do you really believe? So I want to ask you, and I'm, I'm somehow going to try to close right now. What's your desert? See, all this boils down to back is faith and our trust, and are we willing? I don't know what it is about us as followers, and, and I know I'm probably speaking to predominantly followers here this morning. We get very comfortable, so comfortable that, that when God begins to speak to us, we get hesitant, and we just we want all the easy open doors to open. I want to challenge you that possibly this week, and I always say this because this is sort of how I pray for my church. They don't like it when I pray this way, but I have to live it, so so do they. If I'm going to be miserable, we're all going to be miserable. Because as soon as you say, Lord, give me patience, what happens? Hello? As soon as you say, Lord, we need to practice forgiveness, so I want you guys to practice forgiveness. I can't say I'm going to pray that you're miserable if you don't practice forgiveness because if I do, guess what I have to do? I have to forgive somebody. Then I walk around all week, man, I'm never preaching that again. Because every time I preach or teach about that, I have to experience. No, I, I just know I never challenge someone to do what I know. I'm not already having to practice or walk out. And I say that because I promise you, when you hear a message like this, I promise you, at some point this week, the Holy Spirit is going to say, hey, that person. Stick to it. That, that family member. Stick to it. Uh, another translation of stick to it in the John McLeod Dictionary is deal with it. Unresolved issues. Stuff. Our own personal baggage. Um, be willing to deal with it. Because what does that finally lead us to? Surrender. 
And when I say, God, it's not, it's not about me. Because as we read this passage, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor in just a moment, but as we read this passage, what we find is it's really, this passage is not solely about the Ethiopian eunuch. Yes, he went and a whole, a whole nation was impacted. It was about the fact that after the baptism, Philip was already trans, translated, and he found himself in a place called Astos, which historically was Philistine, or home to the Philistines, which were enemies of the Jews. And then he finds himself in Caesarea, which is the capital. And, and that tells me that God took a man who was willing to be obedient to not only serve locally, but impact a nation, bring reconciliation to enemies from the past, and to even impact the capital city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, you think you know something, but seldom do you know it all. You think you know what God is doing in your life, but, but you don't know what he's trying to do. You don't know how he's trying to use you to reach that person. Am I making any sense? So, so when, when we pray today, um, it just wouldn't seem normal if you went to your doctor and you said, you know, I've just got pain all over. But don't take my temperature. It wouldn't seem normal to go to your mechanic and say, my car's not running, but don't check under the hood. I mean, any of us in this room, if we said that we did that, our brother, our sister would say to us, you okay? Do you understand that he's got to check under the hood, right? And do, am I making any sense? I'm not trying to be silly. But we're able somehow, when we come into these settings, we're able to say, God, here I am, but don't check under the hood. Here I am, but don't, don't change the thermostat, Lord. Here I am, but don't. I want to challenge you as we close to just let's simply pray Psalms 139. Search me, O oh God. And know my heart. One translation says, try me. One translation says, break that down, God. And see if there's any wickedness in me. Why? So he can lead us into the way everlasting. Why is that important? Because you think you know. You think you know. But seldom do you know it all. So are you willing? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. God, for every person here, I know that there's, there's ministry, there's a life, there's a family. There are different ways that you have placed your call and your fire in all of us. But Lord, to every uh, one of those individuals that are represented this morning, Lord, there's also areas in our life that you're calling us to or you're, you're moving in. Lord, and we have a tendency, if, if we're honest, to just find those places that we're comfortable with. And if things are going good, and there's a really good move of God in Samaria, we cannot comprehend a call to the desert. God, I just pray that right now, in the name of Jesus, that as we practice just simple surrender right now, it's, it's not about trying to figure out if we're leading a revival in Samaria or if we're leading one man in the desert. It's just that we're pursuing you. That we're pursuing you with such passion 
that we're almost confessing today that we don't know it all. That even when we think we do, Father, there's a new chapter that shows up and we have to relearn trust all over again. So, Father, I pray today, or even before Pastor Brent comes, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us in very unique ways. But, Lord, today we would respond. Today we would take those steps of faith. It, it may be in the business world. It may be in families. It may be in relationships. But, God, I also pray that you help us to understand that you have already intentionally desired to use us to intentionally reach someone else. You do want to change nations. You do want to change families. It's not just about growing a local body. It's about your kingdom. So, God, we just surrender to you, I pray. We love you, Lord. We give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen. Pastor. Would you stand up with me? After the first service, somebody was walking out. We talked for just a moment, and she said, that's my desert. She named it. wonder this morning how many, just as you've been in this environment, hearing the word preach, really could name that desert or that Ethiopian that you're you're called to, to walk alongside of and and stand with. How many really feel like God stirred somebody or, or something, or understand the season I'm in, the place that God's called me right here. I'm going to invite our prayer teams up. If you want agreement, whether it's over something specifically that stirred in your heart this morning, or just something else you carried in where you just said, I need God to break in, then I'm going to bless you in a moment. I'm just going to invite you to come uh, as people are leaving and and receive prayer. Uh, As I say, don't leave this house unless you've if you've got something you just need someone to stand with you, don't leave the house without coming up and getting uh, these folks just agree with you, stand with you. Would you look up at me? I want to bless you today. Scripture says the, the righteous are as bold as lions. I just want to bless you with a boldness, a, a, a God-fearing, divine courage and boldness. A boldness to proclaim Christ in every situation, every circumstance, every person you come in contact with. A boldness to, to let your light shine and be the salt that God's called you to be in our culture today. A boldness to be all that God's called you to be. A boldness to say, yes, I will go. Yes, I'll stay. Yes, I'll respond. Yes, I'll speak. Yes, I'll ask. Yes, I'll move. A boldness to hear God's voice clearly and respond with that type of courage. I bless your homes today. May they be places of peace and joy and laughter. I bless your dining room tables. May you have divine conversations, deeper conversations than you've had, where you know each other's hearts in different ways. I bless your finances. May God just open windows of heaven this week. For those that are struggling, may God break into that point. For those that are underemployed, may God break in and open doors of opportunity. You are... God's favor. You are God's children. You are, just want to hear hear this, you are the favorite of God. You have His favor on your life. God bless you. Have a great week.